Welcome to the Training Ground Guru podcast in association with Huddle. I'm Josh Schneiderweiler, and for this episode, I've been speaking with Marijn Berker, the Sport Development Director at AZ Alkmaar in Holland. We talked about youth development at the club, how they avoid confirmation bias, and the influence of advisor Billy Bean. First, Marijn told me about exactly what his job entails. In English, it's maybe better to say that I'm the sport development director, which I think immediately says what my focus is because uh, I always say that every club has a, he has a technical director or sporting director. Every club has a head coach. He has a scouting director, academy director, medical director. Most of the times, and certainly in our club, all terrific guys that are very busy with important stuff uh, but mostly it's focused on the short term so it's the question we have to find new talents for the next season we have to find new players uh, we have to find new trainers coaches staff the the training roster has to be uh, uh, scheduled in etc and I came in 14 years ago as an addition to that team. So I'm more or less between all the different uh, directors and the technical director uh, looking more towards the future. So my main job is to look further ahead. So not only to, to tomorrow or the next week or the next month or even the next season, but, but look more on a, on a, yeah, with a helicopter view and look towards how we are going to be champion in the future. So I always ask myself, what does success look like in five years? And uh, then I calculate it backwards. So I begin with the end in mind. And, and then I, uh, yeah, I basically go back to the, to the program of today. So what does it mean today in order to make the steps that five years from now, we're going to be uh, yeah, winning, winning, uh, winning trophies. That is more or less what sums it up. A lot of our listeners will probably be a bit unfamiliar with AZ Alkmaar. They might see AZ Alkmaar high in the table every year, but maybe not know a lot about the club. What is the club's you know, overarching kind of philosophy? Uh, well, it's good that you, that you talk about that because I consider ourselves as a relatively young club. Yes, the last years we played a good role, a good role in the in the Dutch Championship. We competed, um, I would say, seven or eight times out of ten times in uh, European football. We were, I think, six or seven times in the semi-finals of the of the Dutch uh, Cup. We won a couple of times. Uh, we were champion uh, ten years ago. So that's that's one. But also, if you look at if you, look, you, if you look at the picture of educating talents, then uh, not much people know that, that our club is currently somewhere in the, in the second or third position with homegrown players uh, in your first team. That means the percentage of in-game minutes played by your homegrown players. And more importantly, out of those 49.7%, of players who came to our academy, the average age that we recruited them uh, was 11.8 years. So if you start answering this question, our philosophy is 
mostly focused around growth and development. So we believe in not so much buying success, but creating success. And not only our program, development programs, uh, or our culture, but also our philosophy and recruiting talent are looking at potential yeah, building blocks, as we call them. That is, well, basically, that's, our, uh, that, that's the philosophy in a nutshell. You said that the average age was 11.8, that you kind of recruit players. In England, a lot of clubs are recruiting younger and younger, some, as, some players as young as five. How young are the players that you recruit usually? If you look at talent, you, we know that there are a few of elements that we call the building blocks of future potential. So physical ability, cognitive ability, the, the, the attitude of a player, the ability to learn, that, that are some, some aspects that are relevant with young children. What we see mostly at the age of 10, 11, we can spot people or players that compared on biological age. So we look at the maturation. We see that he has some, some, some interesting aspects for us to ask him into our academy. The way we can see that is be, because we start at the age groups of nine, under nine, under 10, but we don't put them in our own uh, academy. We invite them in one of our soccer schools. So in total at AZ, we have five, six soccer schools, which in total have uh, maybe 150 players at that age groups. And what we do is that we test them and we test them, well, based on physical data or cognitive data. We also test them mentally. So we put them into, as we, as we call that, shitty situations, challenging situations where they have to, where they have to struggle and to compete to show if they are willing to learn and willing to, yeah, to suffer, as we always say. So we look at the, the personality aspect as well in that year or two years. And when we tested them, we invite them to the uh, official uh, age groups. We don't want to start too soon because the body is not developed enough, in our opinion. But most important, we don't want to make quick decisions. We always... Yeah, as we saw, and we, there's, a, there's a good Dutch saying says, we don't want to skate on one night ice. We want to make good decisions. And that's why uh, we, we don't, there's another fact saying that if you reach the, on the 13th of AZ, you have a somewhere 46% chance of becoming a professional player. Uh, later on, when you're in the on the 16th, you, you even have a, a 58 percentage more or less, to become a professional player. And that is because we have to make good decisions. We cannot afford to lose a talent or to, to lose too much talent. Uh, can you describe some of those tests that uh, you were kind of referring to? You were talking about testing suffering and you know, mental abilities and cognitive abilities. And you know, for a lot of people listening, you know, those might sound like uh, rather difficult things to test. Yeah, well, maybe first it's important to, to ask the question, why do you want to do that? What we see in football and in child development, uh, we don't, you don't only see that in football, you see that in, in sports in general, and maybe you see it in, in general in society. You see that people make assumptions all the time. 
so people and, and coaches as well, they see what they want to see. And that's a phrase, uh, a common phrase in uh, psychology. You see what you want to see. So if you look at a child, uh, you have some preferences. Maybe you see that he's very technical or he's very attractive looking at him and your brain gets triggered. Now, how do you say that? He thinks that you are good, but that doesn't necessarily has to be true. So what we said is that, in, well, in the 14 years I work for is that every day I'm still, I'm still learning to understand what is it really a talent. So what elements of talent are what we call relevant? Because there is a lot of irrelevant information when you look with your, with your naked eye, when you, when you look to a talent, uh, you see his behaviors, you see his, his good things, you see his skills, you see, uh, you see bad things. And it's easy to have an opinion about that. What we found out is that that doesn't have to be true all the time. So we, we know that confirmation bias as well is something that you see a lot on, on the pitch when you look at potential, also when you look at performance of games. And I hear, sometimes I hear coaches say, I don't think he played a good game. In our club, we want to use objective information as a starting point of a discussion. So the, the, the biggest question then is, what is relevant and what is not relevant information? So for example, if you look at physical data, what we do, of course, is want, we want to gather some well, data sets, some information, just you can start with some physical tests, doing sprint tests or agility tests or endurance tests, whatever you found out that is relevant and you want to compare your, your boys with each other. But it would be dumb to compare boys of the same calendar age because we know that there's a, that there's a disadvantage or there, there well, biological-wise, there's a huge difference, as most of your listeners will know, between 14-year-old players. Some are early matures, some are late matures. So, yeah, what we did is that we compared our boys with some test results, but, but based on the same biological age groups. And therefore, it's a bit more honest to compare uh, your players with each other. We started doing that 12, 13 years ago. So now we have a big data set of players who came through the academy, now play somewhere in, in, in Holland or play somewhere in Europe. And what were, the, what were the data levels or the physical levels, physical scores that they had back then when they were 12 years old? But that's hard data. So we uh, divide hard data, which, can, which you can measure, like physical tests, cognitive tests, but we do realize that you cannot measure everything, uh, especially we call that soft skills. When you have soft skills like communication or leadership or attitude, passion, right? the, the ability to suffer for, for something you want, the ability to learn. Although we, we have found an area in the brain that has big influence on adaptability uh, relevant to learning ability, but even functional technical movement that's something that i want to talk about with the specialists on the field 
but we do it in a way that we don't let uh, preferences or confirmation bias slip into the decision-making process. So basically, when we, so the academy director or the technical director and uh, and the scouting director and myself, when we look, and even the trainer, the coaches, when we provide them with information about talents, it would be smart to give him the, 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 the honest, relevant information about the, uh, the player. It, it sounds like the whole process is extremely scientific. You know, it's measured, it's scientific, it's data-driven. Where does that come from? Is that driven by the board of directors? Who is kind of building this vision? Well, first of all, it's, it's basically the essence of our club. So it, we have a strong necessity to uh, do it this way because the other ones around us in, 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 in Holland, even in Europe, they are trying to be successful with, with other aspects. So money is, of course a very important role when you want to compete with the big boys in, in your competition or, or uh, in Europe, because we are one of the big boys in our competition. But that wasn't the case uh, lots and lots of years ago. So we said, okay, we have to think, well, basically we have to think differently. As we say in Holland, uh, we say maybe it's more important to think logically. So there is a strong, well, it, if we don't do it this way and we do it, we, we tr- uh, try to compete based on money, you are just left with your budget. And we have the sixth or seventh budget in, uh, in our country. So then you would be satisfied to, to buy your way into sixth or seventh position. In our club, and that starts with the board of directors and then goes to the both of our uh, directors. Uh, so we have the CEO, Robert Einhorn, uh, who is a former... Uh, baseball player he played at the new york uh, yankees uh, and and a couple of other clubs uh, we also have our uh, technical director which is max hybrids he was a former player at az also uh, some clubs in germany but they are really believing in the philosophy we have a, we have as a as a club so as we say here in our club we say the program is in charge there's no individual person in charge the individual persons, individual persons, they have influence on the program, but the program is really giving us direction of uh, what we have to achieve. What are the responsibilities that we have in all the aspects? And the only way we can be successful is if we if we all fulfill those those elements of the program. There's a lots of lots and lots of freedom for the for the coaches for the for the specialists. And yeah, that, that program is based, well, we don't say science, we say it's based with knowledge. And knowledge, you can get that from scientific research or scientists. If I want to understand the, the role of the, the, the brain, the anterior circulate cortex, for example, which is responsible for a big part with adaptability, I'm not an expert in that. So, so I ask my questions to the neuroscientists who are relevant uh, working with that. Another big influence is, of course, data. Data, that's also something that from six, seven years has a big influence in a club. Also, it was more a catalysator because Billy Bean, you know, him, perhaps from the, from the movie Moneyball, is a club's uh, advisor. So, of course, he helps us with that. But we also have a huge uh, data science uh, department at a club. 
but knowledge is also something you get from experience and i mean with experience that we have some some coaches here that that work for a long time we had here marco from Buster, we had here dick advocaat uh, louis van gaal and uh, those are all uh, people that we ask and try to understand why it is that something works so really understanding the essence of what we do that was something we asked ourselves as i say we always ask ourselves three questions what is the real talent uh how do you develop a culture where people can develop themselves maximum or optimum and how do you create winning teams and we said we want to be one of the best clubs in the world understanding the answer to those questions there, there may be some other clubs saying that but what's really an advantage here is that it's a common belief from the chairman of the board of directors to the technical director to the to the head coach to the to the youth coaches to the to the bus drivers and 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 all the way back so yeah you mentioned mr moneyball billy bean uh who's made famous as you said for that movie and he joined originally as an advisor i believe in 2015 you know so six years ago and you mentioned that data has really taken off in the last six or seven years at the club. You know, did he bring that to the club? And also, you know, what interactions have you had with him? Yeah, Billy Bean saw what was happening here and uh, he was interested not only, not only in the essence of recruitment of talent, but we use data and data science. It has a huge impact on our development programs as well so we don't use it only in in the recruitment of in the business departments uh we use we use that as well uh, yeah and, and and of course when he comes here uh he's a huge inspiration but he's not the only one giving us huge huge inspiration we are always open for people that understand things better than us because our philosophy is if you surround yourself with people that know more than yourself, you have the most uh, area to learn. And, and that's where we want to be. We always want to be improving. We consider ourselves good, but good is not good enough. So we want to grow uh, as a club and, and, and as an individual. Have you spoken with him? I mean, is there anything that in your conversations you gleamed talking to him that kind of changed your uh you know, mind on something or, you know, change your perspective on development? He said, if you work with, for example, with data, it's the same like uh, if, you're, if you're counting cards with blackjack. If you are just playing blackjack, you're gambling and, and you probably can win a bit, but at the end you will lose. If you count cards, it's not gambling anymore. It's just you're winning because if you, you do that, it's not gambling anymore, you're winning. But if you make the decision to two times, two hands, you will count cards and then two hands, you just play and don't count cards anymore. And then you decide to, to count cards again. Yeah, that doesn't work. If you do a combination of both, then, it, then you will lose anyway. So what the lesson was here is that if you want to use, well, a philosophy in our case, if you want to use objective information as a starting point of, of discussions. You have to do it all the way. Eh? So you, you, you cannot do it in that department, yes, in that department, no. 
so so yeah you have to think of, about what does that look in every aspect of our business i thought something you just said that was really interesting was how most clubs just use data to scout and acquire and recruit players. And that's where we see data the most. But can you go into a little bit more detail how you use it to develop players uh, and not just for scouting? Of course, it's for a trainer, it is almost impossible to look at every aspect of every player in every game. And also if you expect him to be able to process that, that won't happen. So what, what comes in then, if you don't do that, you have your confirmation bias. You have your pre- preferences. You have your eye wants to see what your eyes wants to see. So you have an opinion about a player. He makes a mistake and you see, you see what I told you is not good enough. So that's confirmation bias. If you don't gather that information, you, as in our opinion, we say the trainer is up to his own uh, stomach, uh, his, his belly is how do you say that is his feeling in his guts which is important but not use it as the starting point of the discussion so what we show our, our, our coaches is for example when we play a match we have some objective information about what happened for that player uh, and we have that from the young young age groups we have we start with that in the under 15 at the same time, that information is very important to show for your players as well. So we do not only gather that information and share it with our coaches. Uh, we analyze it. We talk about it. We have a holistic way of looking at development. So we look at soccer but then or football, but we combine every aspect. It can be a, a mental aspect. It can be a football technical aspect, a game intelligence aspect nutrition, sleep, focus. And with all the, 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 the specialists, we talk about it. So we just made football as an objective starting point for every discussion. So what, what's good in there is that we don't have discussions anymore at a club, whether something has happened or not. If you don't have discussions about does that happen or not, you can have discussions about why was that happening? You understand what I'm saying? So the discussions we have at our club, we still have discussions and we still ask the, the specialists, the coaches, we ask for their, well, the, their eye of the, uh, the eye of the master opinion. But we ask them, uh, how can it be that his expected threat over the last weeks or games has been 0.10 points less than average? What's the reason there? So there's no argument, was it happening? Is it lower or is it better? It is lower. The question is, why is that? And I always refer to something I learned from, well, not from Albert Einstein, but I read a quote about him saying, if, if you have an hour to fix a problem, spend 55 minutes uh, looking for the, the essence of the problem. What's really the trigger that triggers the problem. If you have that, if you have analyzed your uh, problem, you can look for the solution in, in the last minutes. So that's, that's step one. Step two is the same process is very important for the player as well. Because sometimes lots of coaches, including ourselves here in Holland, we say 
that the evaluation, the, the, reflect, the self-reflecting of players is not good enough. But that's also a process of growing up. You have to, to, to reach into some obstacles and find a way to cope with it. But the data we gather and we, the data we share with the players, it's objective. It's, it tells you what happened in a game. And then we, we sit down with the coach and we ask our players, why is that happening? Is it, what, do you, what do you see? What do you think? And we having more and more good uh, talks with the players and the players are more eager to learn because they are, yeah, they are involved in their own development process. Something which I think is very, well, it's going to be the next step in data science is, is to make the connection with players and uh, make them a part of their development program as well. I get the sense that the entire process is extremely collaborative and integrated across all departments. And there are a lot of people involved in each player's journey, you know, from a data scientist to obviously in performance, and there's a lot of people involved in understanding, trying to understand these players. Yeah, correct. Yeah, that's, uh, it's complicated. Therefore, also, we want to, to, to keep the group of people working at our club as small as possible, because the bigger it is, the more problems there can be in, uh, in communicating. So as I always see is that when people are successful, they want to expand very uh, fast. So one, they want to have two extra trainers instead of one and then a third. And then, but yeah, we have, we have somewhere also a focus of remaining a small group of specialists who believe in the same aspects. The way to get there can be different. So we let, there's a lot of freedom to do. Well, as, as, as we always say, the direction is clear. And also the boundaries are clear. The way to get there, it's up to the specialists. So there's a lot of freedom. And, and that's also because uh, also in my job, there's a lot of change happening there. So every day is, is a different day. We, we have different training sessions. We have different people. So, and that keeps you sharp. And that's also something very important in our training methodology to always be challenging and surprising and not to well if you know what's coming your brain is not open to learn uh, that much you said that the team is quite small you know how big is or you know how many staff are employed by the club and how big is the budget you know i'm just trying to put this in comparison to you know some of these english academies which are growing rapidly in in size and in budget uh, yeah, well, when you talk about numbers of the, the, the staff, yeah, well, for example, we work with a group of, well, let's say 10 uh, academy coaches, academy trainers. What we don't want is that everybody is responsible only for their own team because we want to have multiple hands on the field, as we say. Uh, we want to have also two or three assistant coaches specifically for that team. What we did, and our academy director, every year he has a big puzzle to make, is, is to make the program, uh, the training program, uh, suitable so that the under 18 coach is also assisting in the under 15 teams and maybe even also in the under 12 teams. 
and the under 12 coach he's the head coach of the under 12 but he assists with the under 14 and maybe with uh, with the second team that's also one way and we don't that we don't do that necessarily because we want to uh, keep the budget uh, tight but we want to do that because yeah it's very very important or well it's very dif- difficult to find good people yeah but we want them here being involved with every aspect also to understand if you know what you do in the on the 12s and you know why we do it there you also understand it uh, when you are an under 18 player how it fits in in the bigger picture uh, so let's say we have 10 academy trainers we have a team of three uh, uh, physical trainers in the academy we have two in the first team uh, we have a group of three coaches uh, with the first team, two coaches in the second team. Uh, we have two what we call lifestyle uh, trainers. Uh, we have two uh, video analysts. We have uh, uh, also the this, this scouting is, is in, in the same complex. So we have the entire football complex uh, working together. We have a group of five uh, uh, guys responsible for recruitment, seniors and, uh, and youth. Maybe it's even six now, six or seven. Yeah, so so yeah, we have the academy director, the scouting director, we have myself, we have two student counselors because that aspect is very important. Yeah, so when I say that, I I, I think it's it's still a lot, but if you compare this with other, uh, I also know that with other organizations in Europe, you will see that it's it's nothing compared to that. But that doesn't necessarily is a good thing, because people think very easy that success is built with buying your way with lots and lots of people and uh, uh, lots and lots of good facilities. But for us, maybe the opposite is true. Yeah. Less is more, I guess, is what you're kind of getting down to. Well, you can add some, somebody, but, but there has to be a good reason for it. Yeah. It has to add to something. You can buy, uh, you can open a can of, uh, of trainers and put them somewhere. Yeah, but then you have to educate them. It takes you two, two to three years to fully educate your people in your, in your own program. Uh, so that takes time. And uh, we want to have uh, long relationships with the coaches here. We, want to, we invest in them. We help them grow. But we expect them to, to be work, working here for a long period as well. Like yourself. I mean, you've been there for 14 years. You know, for people that... I would imagine most people listening don't know who you are. Uh, how did you end up at AZ Alkmaar? I, you know, were you a football player before? I, I think I read something that you had always kind of dreamed of this position since the age of 14 or some version of it. Yeah, well, do you want a short or long version? Because uh, we can do both. <laughs> no, well, yeah, well, yeah, of course I played, uh, I played uh, football. Uh, I played multiple sports, uh, which is also very important eh? when you're a young kid play as many sports as possible. Well, I did. I was uh, into sports. I, I love football. I, I love playing football. But I also love playing football manager, for example. And um, yeah, well, yeah, I was a strange kid because when I was 14, I said, yeah, playing football is nice, uh, but I want to be a director of a football team. I, w- I want to have everything in control. That was my ambition when I was uh, 14. Yeah, still don't know what that was back then, but 
yeah, then, then I started making decisions towards that goal. So I said, uh, my goal is to be a technical director in somewhere in, uh, in Europe. Uh, but more important, somewhere it started for myself to understand that my ambition, and it still is, is more to change the world of, of sports, the world of uh, football. Because I have a clear understanding of uh, what success looked like and, and the way, and most, mostly the way of gathering information and use, use data and use knowledge and put that in a program that is the best program to develop people and to win uh, championships. Uh, yeah, and then, then I was somewhere, I was 16, and I went to my parents. I said, Mom, Dad, I don't want to, uh, I w- I don't want to do school anymore. Uh, because uh, I'm into languages, but the teachers tell me I can't do that because I don't have a, I don't have wisdom to learn languages. They say now I speak seven languages. So oh wait wait, wait. before we go further, what which languages? Oh, well, uh, because I lived there uh, for a while. I, I speak French, Spanish, Italian a bit, English, German as we all do in Holland, Dutch, of course, and uh, a bit Portuguese. We have a few Japanese guys here, so uh, I'm into that as well. But the thing is that when I was in my high school, uh, I wanted to do a couple of uh, classes, management and economics, and, and but also history. And, and uh, uh, but the Dutch school system said, no, you can do that. You have to choose one or two or two to three departments. So I said to my parents, no, I want to be a technical director. I want to study things that make sense towards that goal. I can't do that. Plus, they tell me I'm not smart enough, which I didn't agree, but I didn't want to learn. So that, has, that still is a very important thing I have to understand how people learn because I disagree with how, uh, well, I think in European school systems, people learn. They're just reproducing knowledge that somebody has uh, made up would be important. And I'm more into finding curiosity and creativity and solution-focused thinking. And that's something also we, we, we believe strongly here in a club. But when I was 16, I quit my school. My parents said, okay, but you still have to do something search for something in management so i found a, a, a education a management but somewhere in uh, how do you call that in uh, well it was a management degree i finished that then I, I said to myself i want to do this management course it was four years but i said at the end there is two years you can go abroad you can go to uh, other countries and i said you know what i will do I will write towards 50 clubs in Europe and I will ask them if I, if I can come there to, to learn, to work for free, to understand. Uh, yeah, so I went to, uh, to three countries. So I went to Rome, Barcelona, Nice, uh, working there, doing my internship for my school. But at the same time, so I, I, I visited AS Rome, uh, I visited Espanol, and I visited uh, uh, Olympic Nice just to sniff around as as we call here and and to understand i did the same with agents back then some dutch player agents because i wanted to gain experience in this at the same time i I wanted to learn languages then i came back i was 20 years old i thought okay and now 
so I, I went to the Johan Cruyff University in Amsterdam, where you can study, it was a sports science I did there, or sport, what was it, sport management and sports science. And, but basically for me, it was a way in because I thought of, I, I, I was thinking, okay, I want to go in my third year, I want to go to a club. I lived in Arnhem, which is uh, in, the, uh, in the other part of the country. So it, it's far away from, uh, from Alkmaar. And I said, uh, yeah, I, I could go to some other clubs uh, around Arnhem, doing a, working there for an internship. And I said, I want to go to AZ. There's one club I have to go to, that's AZ. So in 2006, I went to, uh, well, I wrote a, a letter to uh, uh, Marcel Bronze, now working at Everton as the technical director and to the, the academy director, Alois Weinker. And uh, yeah, he, they said, if you are crazy enough to move to uh, Alkmaar, doing uh, research about how AZ Alkmaar can be the number one academy in Holland in, within five years, that, that was my research. And uh, after six months, yeah, I wrote a, I wrote a research, did a, did a lot and lot lots of uh, recommendations which now are all implemented and uh yeah so so marshall bronze asked me to uh to become full-time at a club and that was in 2007 so 14 years later i'm still uh yeah i'm still here and yeah that's a long time at the club but we have a well we have a one big ambition here is to become a champion again and to have an impact in uh, in the way of how we play uh, football and how we educate talents in Europe. We had some good things, but there's lots and lots of progress I still see here in this club. So, uh, uh, yeah, you can, if you improve your bar all the time, there's enough uh, room to grow uh, and you it takes time. You mentioned uh, creativity a little while ago and the importance of fostering that creativity. How do you approach fostering creativity at Alkmaar? Well, for me always, whether it's, it is as a management style or it's a, it's a coach style you have. So if you do it with your staff members or you do it with your players, it, it's more or less of the same. First, you have, you have to have a clear understanding of the essence of what you're doing. So trainers for our for us are free to do what they want to do on the on the field but they have to understand very good based on our football methodology what is the essence of those principles of those vision of training we have the vision of playing we have but if you have a clear guidance of what's the essence you need to achieve you also have responsibility so you have to give responsibility to people and then you have to give them the freedom to go ahead. You also have to accept that people will make mistakes. If you're smart, you create obstacles. So you force them to sometimes make mistakes because that's the area where you want to uh, be uh, once in a while to develop. Yeah, so it's clear. The essence has to be clear. As we say, we don't tell our, our players what they need to do but we make them understand what has to be done at the end. That's a quote we use a lot. That's A. B is we give them responsibility. And that's easier said than done for trainers who 
sometimes want to be in control of everything, but they have to come up with their own solutions. That's two. And three is that, yeah, you have to keep an eye. You have to uh, observe. You have to reflect. You have to help them. And, of course, when you look at the way our training sessions are built, that's in an implicit way. So we force, we, we mostly, as we say, the coaching is done by the exercise. It's not done by the, through the mouth of the coach. So the, the, the exercise has to be that smart that implicitly, unconsciously, they will do what uh, the, the principles related to the principles of our, of our football. Can you describe what you mean by that just a little bit more? Because I think that's a really important point, that it's driven by the exercise and not by the trainer. So we have a clear understanding of the principles of the football. We divide them into three aspects, basically. So when you're in the, on the 11, 12, 13, we say you just have to understand the technical uh, movement patterns uh, which uh, which you need later on implementing in the game. So we say uh, you you just have to understand playing football. When you're in the in the 14, 15, 16 grades on the 15 teams, 16 teams, you, we call that game intelligence. They're relevant. So the principles we made are through the essence of football. All different kind of football styles because you have to understand the differences that there are in different patterns on the field. You have to understand that. There is no one pattern which is necessary. We want to fill your, uh, we want to fill your brain with large number of ferrite experience patterns. That's the way your memory, your long-term memory works. We call that game intelligence. And uh, at the end, on the 17th, upwards to the first team, you have your principles to win games, basically. If you have those principles, there's a possibility that you tell your players what you want them to do. So you, you may, that, that's basically a conscious pattern. We call that uh, explicit information, which is a different uh, area of the brain where it's stored when we play football. When we play football, we use knowledge stored in your implicit long-term or non-declarative uh, uh, memory so we want to fill basically that part of the brain uh, you do that by not so much explaining what is going to happen but you want to experience just by experiencing it what we do is that we force the exercise to yeah, so that you can be successful by following the implicit rules that there are. So, for example, if you do an exercise where you want, where, where your focus is on giving pressure, for example, so we do a transition game. Uh, uh, yeah, we play a three against three. And, and uh, what we want to stimulate here is that after we lose possession, they immediately recover the ball. So what we do or what you can say is, okay, when that, when you do that within three seconds, you have two points. When you do it after three seconds, you have one point. So players want to win. So what they do is that they want to go for the, for the highest points, for example. Uh, or another way, what you can do is if you want to um, stimulate the use of diagonal passes, 
I can say, okay, my left back and right right full back go ahead and play 20 meters up front. I can explain that, which is explicit information. Or what I can do, implicit information, I cut the corners out of, of the field. So my left back has to stand 20 meters in front. So I unconsciously force him to do yeah, what the, the essence of the training is. Um, the same is when we play defending and we want to choose possessional defending. I can tell you to my defenders, okay, you cannot grab the shirt of your opponent. I can say that. But if he's still doing that all the time, I can give him two tennis balls in his hands and I say, go ahead and play that exercise. So he cannot grab the shirt anymore because he has the tennis balls in his hands. So all kind of situations that the, the coaching as we say, the coaching is done by the exercise, not so much through the mouth of the coach. But it's very simple because if you understand the brain in football and the different areas you use, it's easily to train the wrong uh, well, part of the brain, basically. Yeah. You've, you've mentioned the brain and neuroscience a lot in this, uh, in this conversation. It, it seems like that's like a really important part of your methodology and what you do at Alkmaar? Well, it, yes, it is one of the areas that we are uh, focusing on. If you look at what we consider a talent, technically and physically, you have to be in optimum condition. Uh, lots and lots of clubs are busy working on that. For us, yes, that has to be on one of the highest standards because if you look at uh, the first team of, of AZ and also the 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 team's a bit lower, you see that we have very strong physical capabilities. So our endurance, our intensity in the game is very high. But once again, there are multiple clubs in, in, in Holland and especially in Europe having technically and physically optimum conditioned players. What we said is, okay, there are some other elements which has to be of a high standard as well. So one is, well, neuroscience. It's game intelligence and it is uh, cognitive skills. So it's long-term memory and working memory. But on the other hand, uh, also what is a very important uh, factor for us here is, is that we, as we say here, we want to develop the human beings behind the players as well. So we want to develop good individuals with passion, but also we want to develop professional athletes who know how to treat their body uh, 24 7 a day so what is necessary for me to become uh, uh, as good as as possible and of course we look also a bit here to what happened this weekend where uh, a 42 year old played against a 43 year old in one of the final rounds of football so if you look at tom brady how is it possible that with his age, he's still one of the best in, in the sport. That is because his lifestyle is insane in a positive way. So, uh, yeah, that's also some, something that we have our emphasis on. And that's where you bring in the lifestyle trainers that you mentioned earlier, the lifestyle coaches. Yeah, exactly. So, so they play a crucial role uh, in our philosophy. But, yeah, so you, you're asking about neuroscience or... or but the thing is that all the elements that we have, they are a crucial phase in the total 
impact we want to have in the game. And it only works when all those elements as a holistic part are yeah, in, improved. Uh, if you have some one aspect which is phenomenal and the other one's not, yeah, you, you, you won't be successful at the end. As I said, we don't believe in buying success. We believe in creating success. But the other way is that if you believe in creating success, you can only achieve that when all of those elements are in line in, in one direction, working together very good. I noticed you used the term game intelligence instead of tactical, um, which is what most coaches would use. Is there a reason why you use game intelligence instead of using the word tactical? <clears throat> Uh, yeah, well, well, tactics are important, especially when you came through the academy and somewhere at the end where you have to win matches, then we, it's smart to use technical intelligence or making tactical plans. But we talked about creativity and tactics are somewhere, uh, sometimes it, it is uh, the total difference of creativity because most of coaches who want to win a game they come up with a good tactics but if you do that too early so for for example when you do that in your on the 14s or even in the on the 15s or in the on the 11s you may win that game for the short term but for the long-term development of your uh, long-term or how do you say that your uh, yeah long-term memory your it's it's not good because what you want to achieve in the in the in the lower uh, games or the lower teams you want to have a large number of varied ex experience patterns in your brain and also you want to stimulate creativity so players have pattern recognition on a higher speed they translate that into their brain where they compare what has happened before and what is going to happen. So make, they make a prediction what is going to happen and then they execute that movement. If you put too much emphasis on, uh, on tactics, you erase that uh, development possibility for your players. So we say until the under 16s, the word tactics is a forbidden word in our club. We don't want to make decisions based on strategy to win games the goal for the players can be to win games, but we rather win championships with the first team. And therefore, uh, we need players who are creative, who are game intelligent. And at the end, the coach can come up with a tactical plan. But also, if you have, because tactical, it's not that difficult. It's basically follow what somebody else is telling you you have to do. You have to do that. That's basically a tactical plan. But also what is very important, achieving or executing that tactical plan is that you as an individual on the field recognize situations. You recognize the pos position of the body by looking to the hip-knee ankle combination and predicting where he is going to be. Or you see very quickly, you see information around you, you process that information, you compare it with well, let's say a helicopter view a pattern and you make a decision or you can adjust your tactical plan in an instant. So, yeah, 
we rather avoid that, not so much that word, but that whole concept in the early eight groups of, uh, of the academy. Well, you've been incredibly gracious with your time. It's been a real pleasure speaking with you today. If I may, I have to make a quick note about what I said about the AZ University. Because, well, through those 14 years that I work now at AZ, of course, there's a lot of people interested all the time on, in, in, in sharing information and, and uh, gaining some knowledge. And, well, basically, we want to be a humble club as well. So our doors are always open. But at the same hand, on, on, on the same hand, uh, sometimes your core business is performing with the first team, with developing talents. So, and we have a small group. So uh, it was getting a bit, well, it was not under control anymore because every day we, we could be there showing somebody around in the facility. So what we did starting uh, just before Christmas last year, we opened what we uh, now call the AZ University. Uh, you can uh, find information on azuniversity.nl, I think, or .com. Don't know that even uh, for sure. But we give now uh, online webinars uh, in Dutch, uh, also in the future in English. Uh, we have open houses two times a year, so everybody can come. Uh, we will start with some online uh, on, online modules where you can. Uh, on the internet learn about the way uh, we develop the under 11, 12, 13 players or we do the periodization or the football mythology or the lifestyle program. Uh, so, yeah, we, we, we have put our, our knowledge out there to share that. Uh, well, thank you so much for taking the time today. Uh, we really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you for your questions and it was a pleasure uh, being here. Thank you for listening to the Training Ground Guru podcast in association with Huddle. We'll be back next month with another episode. In the meantime, you can follow our latest updates on the website and on Twitter at ground underscore guru.